I'm gonna pass. Thanks. It's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be my new rap song. <laughs> it's like I got big balls. <laughs> test my testicles. Test, test, test. test. <laughs> What's your rap name? Did you know my rap name? <laughs> Bread and breakfast. <laughs> Get money. Eat sausages. <laughs> Ain't taking no lozenges. Cause my throat don't hurt. These are just spectacular wraps. Just spitting fire. Can't imagine that you won't be an instant success. Check out my attire. <laughs> Did you try to cheers me with the can? With the can, yeah. I. You are ashamed to hear people. Had the time of my life. I did have the time of my life. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about it on the Nightmare Box. Welcome to the Nightmare Box, presented by Sakes Ray. My name is Brett Bloom, and I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, wearing a banging black outfit. Kristen Bloom. Yeah, no dresses today. Why? Why no dresses Why today? Why no dresses today? Because uh, it would not have been appropriate to have worn a dress on a hike. <laughs> did we get the fat fuck outside? We did. For the first time in the, the new spring? A gorgeous day. And yeah, like we did some stuff last summer, I think, but like COVID um, kind of took off right at the beginning of spring. So I mm-hmm. feel like we spent, because things were still so uncertain, so much time cooped up, like even yeah. during the nice weather. And this has been the first like nice, nice weekend. Yeah, it's like we've 67 had degrees outside. Yeah. Um, Apparently, we had a wind advisory, though, because the wind is so out of control here. <laughs> but, uh, fucking stunning day. Yeah, yeah took we the soft back. top out. You know, rolled out with the Jeep with the soft top still on it, because it's not top off weather just yet. Uh, but I had my window rolled down, and as we were driving across, there's like this plains area between our the city we live in and the next town over. And uh, as we were crossing that plane, it almost blew the top off. <laughs> it was like four or five inches ballooned out on top, so you could like see sunlight through the roof. <laughs> blew out the whole right back panel. Jax was freaking out. <laughs> gorgeous, though. But yeah, that wind is still just a little bit chilly because we're still up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, fucking beautiful day. Yep. Jax walked down into the river, sat down in the mud, happy as shit. <laughs> <laughs> he's had a bath now, and he's a fluffy little bear. Yeah. He's a fluff monster. Oh, you smell pretty. You might have him snoring at some point because yeah. he is conked. Because uh, <laughs> in the Jack's update, I, I think we mentioned that he gained probably 20 fucking pounds on those meds. So fat. Yeah, I would, gained I a lot of weight. I would believe it was more, to be honest. <laughs> he was so fat for a minute there. Yeah, like he went from like a nice, you know, I think 75, 80 pounds, and then he's probably well over 100 right now. Couldn't climb his ass back into the Jeep <laughs> after his walk, but he charged like a fucking soldier on he, the walk. He did way better than I thought he would. I thought we were going to make it halfway, and then he was just going to sit down and be like, I'm done. <laughs> like he used to do on our Tennessee walks. When he it was just too stopped. hot. <laughs> yeah. Just stop and be like, that's it for me. But I did bring him little little pop-up bowls of water. Yeah. And um, yeah, we made it. Did a damn good job. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I fucking, I mean, that's why we moved out here, really. I mean... Our plans for uh, the nightmare box aside, um, I fell in love with the mountains when I came out to Washington and then when I came out here again and we're surrounded by them on all sides, getting to go out to the river and just hearing the silence again is just incredible. Mm-hmm. I, I like the little spot that we is like kind of our go-to spot, but I, I would like to adventure out and find some new places because I feel like there's so much like pretty stuff here. Yeah. No, I want to find like an isolated kind of like our, our spot, but like a mountain 
trail where mm-hmm. like we might see one or two other people. So but if there are any Montana listeners, tell us where to go. If you know some spots, I want to be like Thoreau, <laughs> sit out in nature. Yeah, because the place that we go is a relatively (laughs) the place that we go is a relatively flat hike, but you end up next to the water several times, Mm -hmm. and Jax really likes that. Um, But yeah, we've seen it and done it a few times, Mm -hmm. and it's a a spot where other people go as well. And yeah, I want to have my own spot. Yeah, we saw something we'd never seen before today. Oh yeah, the tree. That got taken out by beavers. I've fucking, like, I've heard that that happens. I know that they make dams. I know that there's a dam in the spot that we go to. There's a really nice beaver dam uh, that's set up. But I've never seen, like, the remains of something that they've attacked. And it's just, like, this little triangle stump next to a triangle stump. And you can see all the little tooth marks. It was so fucking cool. Like, all the little sheds of wood near it. I'm curious if they're going to come back for it, like, as the weather warms up. Mm Because I think beavers typically build their dams in the summer, don't they? I'm not sure, but that looked really fresh. But, yeah, they filled... A giant, it was like a fairly dead tree, but mm-hmm. uh, it was tall. Yeah. And <laughs> growling? Being grumpy for. Um, it was like falling over the bank, and I think maybe the very tip of it was in the water, mm-hmm. but they didn't get it down into the water, so it was kind of like they knocked it over and then just abandoned it there for the moment. So I'm yeah. curious if they're going to come back for it. And I don't start know how chopping beavers it up. <laughs> Everything I know about beavers, I learned from zombies. <laughs> I don't know that that's accurate. <laughs> I don't think that's a good I, betrayal. If they drink nuclear sludge, they lead to a lot of sexual innuendos in a cabin. And a, a lady turns into a beaver. <laughs> and the lady turns into a beaver. And it eats her beaver. And it's hilarious. <laughs> and it also eats a dick off. <laughs> and it's one of the greatest films that's ever been made. No. <laughs> But yeah, no, I know. There's the Godfather, there's Casablanca, and motherfucking zombie. It's right there coming in hot on third. <laughs> I would be very curious to know, yeah, if they like take down bigger logs and then come back for them later. Because that yeah. seems like a lot of work to put in to have knocked that down. And knocked it down strategically enough to have aimed it at the water. Yeah, no shit. And it looks like a perfect circle, so I, I don't know anything about beavers, and that's what I realized staring at that stump and looking at that tree. I was like, I, I knew that they chopped them down, and I know that they eventually make dams, but I don't know if they strategically pick the tree apart. I don't know if they, you know... If they pick a tree that's close to where they're planning yeah. on building the dam. If it's terrifying, and there's like an army of beavers that come out with their little hands and Beaver. push it. <laughs> I should have taken a picture of it. It was pretty cool. I wonder if it'll be there next time we go back. I mean, the stump, will. Well, I'm at the tree. <laughs> like I said, are they going to come back for it? I'm going to go day by day, make a journal. What are the beavers doing? I'm going to go out there with night vision goggles. <laughs> Set up like we, in the woods. like they do in Generation Kill that we watched this week. We did. <laughs> subway into, subway, Segway into fucking. No, we are not having Subway. They don't have those here. No, wait, yeah, they yeah, do. Pull reconnaissance on the, on the beavers. Get out there on the little green stuff. Was it, um, how long has it been since the last time you watched it? Uh, I was in the service the last time I saw it, so it's been a couple of years. Was it how you remembered it being? It's better than I remembered it being, because I was watching it with you. So, like, I was watching it with a bunch of other, you know, Air Force dudes the last time that I saw it. And it wasn't as engaging for the dramatic parts. Um, like, the... The show's hilarious. You get a lot of jokes. And I, I remembered it just being funny. 
really. Um, but when you're in the service, you're just waiting for, well, why didn't they blow anything up today? It's kind of like the major consensus of the people that you're watching it with. And Don't so I shoot any more civilians. Yeah. So they're talking over everything. And then the Humvee gets ambushed and everybody shuts up and watches that and then goes back to just bullshitting. So I, I actually got to watch it. I feel like this time around, what'd you think of it? Cause you've never seen it before. It's, it's interesting, but also sad at the same time. And I know it's meant to kind of show you, um, like, the more horrific aspects of war for a reason. To kind of mm-hmm. have us questioning, like, why Should we're we be here, here and, yeah, 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 if we're doing this. Um, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's a very complex feeling, which I imagine it must be if you're in this situation as well to be watching it and be like, I understand why these young men are acting the way they're acting because they've been trained Mm -hmm. and like having worked in a hospital for so long, I know eventually you desensitize to things that would seem really graphic to other people. Um, never been to war. That's a bit different, (laughs) but like, yeah. Um, even just in a hospital, like you, you kind of get numb to things that other people would be like, Oh my God, you know? Um, so I get, kind of the vulgarity behind some of the conversations they're having, but then also like watching them kind of growing and being like, are we doing the right thing? And like, yeah. kind of like as um, an audience member having that, that growth with the yeah. character. So it's, it's because it is well really done. funny at the beginning. And then at the end, you almost want to cry. Like as the reporters getting on the helicopter to fly out, mm-hmm. like, you're like, well, they're still there. And it's beautiful that they, because in my book, The Anatomy of Story, <clears throat> which I've officially finished and I'm now reading Generation Kill. Mm-hmm. Um, but in um, in the book, he talks about, I think we talked about it on the last episode, like the, the audience has the revelation uh, near the end of the story. And mm-hmm. I think Gen Kill, it being like a seven-part miniseries, does that brilliantly it drops you in and you feel like the reporter like you uh, not necessarily me because I, I've, I've never been to fucking Iraq but and yeah I know the words that they're using and you know I've worn a mop I've done shit like that and so for you you go in kind of confused you don't fully know what they're talking about and then by the end, it doesn't need to be explained to you anymore. You've heard these phrases, kind of like Clockwork Orange. So many times, you know what they're meaning. I didn't realize until I asked you, though, that they had been using one word interchangeably. Like Oscar Mike? Yeah, because <laughs> I... And he had literally just said the phrase, we're Oscar Mike and five mics. And I was mm-hmm. like, does mics mean minutes? And you were like... It just means whatever word you need, yeah. like need it to mean. And I was like, oh, they have yeah. been using it interchangeably, haven't they? You're Oscar Literally Mike in and five mics. Yep. Oscar Mike and five mics. We're on the move in five minutes. <laughs> that makes no sense to me. It it it's hard. <laughs> it makes no it, sense. It it's weird how easy it is to learn it, and then how hard it is to stop doing it. Because at a certain point in any person's military experience. Uh, you talk in a way that is foreign to anybody who's not in the military. You use a lot of acronyms. Yeah. And you can, like, combine five sentences worth of thought into, like, three words. <laughs> and I, it's not that acronyms, per se, that I think are weird, because especially if you're in, like, a foreign country and you're at war, and yeah. there's a possibility of someone picking up on your channel. Like, I can understand wanting to talk in a way that sounds confusing. It's the fact that the acronyms don't actually mean anything. It's the first letter <laughs> that yeah. matters. So, well, that's the phonetic alphabet. That's different. 
Well, but no, yeah. but like Oscar Mike's and Five Mike's, like Mike's is just any word that begins with M, basically, and you have to know what it means. Yeah. And I'm like, that makes no sense to me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like if you don't say it in a way that kind of clearly lays out what the word is supposed to be, I'm going to be like, we're doing what and what? Until you're just supposed to know. <laughs> that and makes if no you sense. don't know, repeat it to yourself until it makes sense like, to you. The word should not be interchangeable. <laughs> I'm excited for like how that's represented in the book because I'm only about 30 pages in and uh, it's sticking pretty true to what we saw in the show. The show stuck pretty true to what it said in the book rather, but they haven't addressed the phonetic alphabet and a lot of the language like he's explained right off the beginning. You're not going to like the words that are coming out of these guys' mouths, but here we go. <laughs> you know? yeah. And so he's like, motherfucker is like the favorite adjective and, you know, this, that, the other. But he hasn't gotten to the phonetics or a lot of the big breakdowns. But he was also a war correspondent before he wrote the book. So I'm curious if he actually will dive into that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and I think he helped write the screenplay, right? Yeah, him and the guy that played him wrote the screenplay. (laughs) So I guess it makes sense that it would be fairly true to the book, because I wonder how often that happens, that the person who wrote the book gets to write the screenplay. It should happen more often, and it's kind of what we've got going for us. Stephen King's movies would have been better. (laughs) You never would have got Kubrick's The Shining if King was allowed, but you might have a better version of, like, Cujo. (laughs) Um, Carrie was pretty spot on, but what was I saying? Uh, that he's oh, a war correspondent. No, this is like the benefit of having the writer with the, you know, the whole, the, the initial writer follows into the process. It's like the benefit that we have with like the plan for Nightmare Box is having the writer work directly with the director. So like, I see a thing that I want to put on screen. Kristen gets to review that. I do the rewrite. I bring it to her. Mm -hmm. But I'm also there kind of behind the camera with you for like in the moment. Hey, what if we did this? What if we did that? What if this light went over here? I think the problem... But I'm not the technical person and you're not the writing person. Yeah, I think the problem with that in like traditional Hollywood stuff is the egos. Yeah. I think a lot of... I mean, it's not true of everyone, but I think a lot of directors go into projects like I'm... I'm the all-seeing God. I'm big dick swinging (laughs) over here. Yeah, Um, I'm the only one who can understand the screenplay, (laughs) but I'm not going to bring the person whom only I can understand here. Yeah, (laughs) and I've seen some, like, behind-the-scenes stuff where... um, And I I can't think of any specific examples, but I have seen some behind-the-scenes stuff where the director was kind of like, it's my way or no way, and even, like, the opinion of... The cinematographer seemed to kind of get squashed a bit. Well, like Kubrick when, was legendary like that. Yeah, and like whenever we were making the dolls, like I don't like to even take credit for it because our DP was honestly mm-hmm. like the person I kept going to to be like, what do you think about this? And like, what if we did this? And she'd be like, okay, well, let's yeah. do this. You know, so like I, um, her name's Destiny. Um, go Destiny, go. <laughs> yeah, she honestly probably put in more effort <laughs> in the dolls than I did. <laughs> So I'd be like, oh, I need to shoot this. And she'd be like, what if we did it this way? And I'd be like, we'll do it that way. That, that looks good to me. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I, I understand, I guess, to some extent, wanting the glory of if a project goes really well to kind of all fall on you. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I get when you spend that much time and effort on something wanting to be recognized for it. But I do feel like... Um, 
on bigger budget films anyway. I'm sure smaller budget movies run a bit differently, but it is kind of all about the star actors and the director. And it's like so many people mm-hmm. like invest just as much time making this and um, to discount other people's opinions is absurd. Yeah. <laughs> you should be soaking in. I would imagine everybody's opinion. Like, it was a weird realization I had watching Jen Kell with you um, is how much the relationships that you have in a flight or a squad or, you know, whatever you're doing um, operate kind of like a film set. So where our LT character in the show goes to his, you know, team leads and that's his bubble. What does LT mean? Lieutenant? Lieutenant, yeah. Okay. Um, goes to, you know, Colbert and the other team leaders that are running the trucks um, to get their opinion on the situation before responding. And there are times where that's appropriate, both in film and, you know, in that military setting. Mm-hmm. But then there's times where the director or that LT needs to take over and make the decision that needs to be made ultimately it's the lt but he's getting all these other things and you Mm. would think that the writer would be one of those team leads yeah your set designer would be one of those team leads (laughs) i hope if we you know ever end up being like super successful or whatever where it's like oh my god it's the blooms you know like (laughs) they're never gonna say oh my god it's the blooms because if i become hyper successful i'm pulling a stanhope i'm moving to the middle of fucking nowhere (laughs) you're not gonna see me walking down hollywood boulevard oh it's the blooms (laughs) i just mean in general i I hope to not lose um, or get caught up in that ego and not lose the Mm -hmm. appreciation of the opinions of my coworkers. I think, yeah, if I was the director, ultimately, if I disagreed, I'd be like, well, that's not We're how doing I feel. it this way. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I, I would still hope that the people working beneath me felt comfortable coming to me. Mm-hmm. Um, that aside, though, I, this has nothing to do with uh, our podcast in yeah, particular. We but had too much curious. of a flow. <laughs> no, going back to what you were talking about and like leadership, um, what's the hierarchy of ranks like in the military? So, what's the beginning position you start out as? So you start off as an E1, and that it has a different name for every branch. Is that like, but like the traditional titles like corporal and lieutenant and all that? Those are, those? are officer ranks. So okay. you can go in enlisted. So enlisted is the E, mm-hmm. E1, or you can go in as an officer, which means you've either gone to college or you've gone through the um, OCS. I think is if I'm remembering it like right. The, officer's the officer training shit like their version of basic training um and but you rank up if you just start at the bottom yeah but you can't rank up from enlisted to officer um through the enlisted chain like you can't get all the way up to chief master sergeant and then this would be hilarious if they ever tried to do it you can't you made it all the way to chief master sergeant which is the air force's e9 um if you've ranked up to LT, then you'd be lower tier officer with like 30 years of experience. And so like, that would be really fucking funny. Like if you had like, like your, your, your baby officer, but you've got 30 years of like combat experience and leading men and shit they're like technically that. above you. And they're te- well, that's the, the joke. Um, when is it Fink? The LT? Uh, I think it's Fink or Flick, something like something that. Something like that. Yeah, but when he chews out 
the gunny. The gunny would be, and I'm not a Marine, so I don't know where it is, but it would be in the higher enlisted tier. Um, that guy's got 20, 30 years worth of experience when in real time, the LT is probably 22. Huh. So he turns around and starts screaming at the gunny, pulling rank. So the gunny can't say shit to the LT because he's technically below him, so but he's less experienced. It's wild when you see it in person. So I've, I've you... seen a chief get chewed out by a captain, and a captain's, I believe, an 03. So, <laughs> so how do you make the transition? Because when you started, you You, <laughs> you go to OCS. <clears throat> you weren't like an officer, though. You didn't do... No, I was enlisted. Okay. Yeah. So you would have to do like go do the actual training to make the transition over, yeah. otherwise you're forever lower ranked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can go in enlisted make it to staff sergeant which is like e5 um in the air force i'm not speaking for all the branches don't fucking send me an email <laughs> <laughs> but you can make it to e5 and then um apply to go to the officer training so you have corps. to hit e5 first before you can yeah because <laughs> all right we're in it. um so <laughs> i'm just curious e, e1 like... e1 through e4 is your Lower enlisted. E5 to E7. You've ranked up. Yeah. E5 to E7, you're you're what's referred to as a non-commissioned officer. So you have to get into the non-commissioned officer corps and then go get your commission if you want to jump all those ranks and start off at the bottom as an officer. So is it... And the people that do that are respected more by the enlisted than the people that go from getting a bachelor's degree, enlisting in the military, and becoming an LT. So if you do it that way, do you know, is it more like a literal boot camp, like physical training, or do you have to do like written tests and shit It's all of that, yeah. It's both? Uh, From what I've heard, the officer corps is... um, Like, can you be too dumb to pass? (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's like twice as long there's more um physicality Mm. like more physical fitness training over a longer period of time and it's like going to get your associate's degree so it's a shitload of stuff because you have to know strategy you know they have to beat that into you now and when you're enlisted uh you start off at if i point over there you kill that thing and then that's done. Come ask me what you want to do. <laughs> but they have to become the people who know who to point at. Gotcha. Yeah. So is that generally speaking the plan for most people to like rank up and then switch over to officer? Or do Depends people, on your personality. Do some people literally just like stay? My dad did. Oh, did he? Yeah. My he dad didn't. My dad made it to a senior master sergeant. So he was E8, which is one step below chief master sergeant. So he wasn't an officer? No. I didn't know that. No, he wasn't an officer. He like, his titles sound really official. He was a senior non-commissioned officer, <laughs> which means he had 23 years of experience and a 23-year-old could scream at him. <laughs> do you get paid more if you do the officer? Yeah. Why wouldn't you yeah. do that? <laughs> that makes no sense. Why wouldn't you switch over? Well, it's, uh, do you want to, like, hurt people or do you want to be... Tell people. Tell people to tell hurt people. Tell people, people to hurt people, you know. No, it's a weird thing, like, as an enlisted dude... Um, the officers don't really make sense to you when you're like 19 and you're just full of piss and vinegar and you're like, I just want to go fuck shit up. I want to spray my machine gun. Yeah. I just want to lay shit down. Why the fuck? I mean, yeah, they're going to make, you know, 
salaries like doctors or some shit like that once they hit the higher officer ranks, if they ever hit the higher officer ranks. But it's way more political. It's way more of a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. Like I had a buddy, I have a buddy who's a captain in the army and there's only so many positions. There's more positions if you're enlisted. There's fewer positions if you're an officer because you're... Captain's an officer ranking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like an O three. 3 Oh, oh, the E's and the O's stand for enlisted and officer. I, that's what I started this with. <laughs> no, you said I just watched Gen, I just watched Jen Kill with this bitch. <laughs> no, you didn't say what the E stood for. I did, I said... No, didn't. I did, when we started at E1s. You didn't say we, E means we enlisted. We got all the way up to like O9s and you, you're just now putting it together. <laughs> you didn't say E means enlisted. Yeah, so E1, Airman, <laughs> E2, Airman Basic, E3, Airman First Class, 4, Senior Airman, that's your boy, 5, Staff Sergeant, Tech Sergeant. How hard is it to rank up? It's a pain in the dick. You have to take a massive test. So even like E1 to E2? Like- uh, E1 to E2 is automatic. Oh. Uh, e2, Basically just survive boot camp? <laughs> uh, no. You become an airman when you survive boot camp. Oh. Um, if you have certain things when you go in, <laughs> sounds fucking retarded because I'm trying to explain something I haven't thought about in years. <laughs> um, I Talk came, to me like I'm in kindergarten. <laughs> I came in as an E3. I oh. didn't start off as an E1. Because there's a program where, like, if you sign up for six years, you automatically go in as an E3. So you get a longer commitment on your first commitment, uh, but you get the startup. Almost nobody anymore is signing a four-year and showing up at the very bottom. Is the deployment time longer, or is it still just a two-year deployment? Because isn't it... A two-year deployment? Like... Isn't that whenever you do the four-year contract, don't, aren't two of them potentially up to be like actively at war? Isn't that how that works? Like, isn't half of the time? Nobody's ever explained that to me. <laughs> oh, am I no, making it that It depends up? on where you go and what their deployment tempo is. Oh, I I've... never got deployed. I was second string to get deployed. I went to the training right before you get deployed, and then everybody took off. Oh. Yeah, I may have made that like up in my head. Me and like head. four other dudes were like, "I don't get to go to Afghanistan." <laughs> oh yeah, I was under the impression for some reason when you sign a four-year contract, two of them are basically like you might potentially be at active duty war for no. two years. No, I was in for four and I never got deployed. Well, I mean, I'm not saying like it definitely happens, but mm-hmm. I thought that was based, like the understanding of the contract is you're agreeing you might be at war for half. When of you your- sign the contract, you're agreeing that you might be at war for the entire time <laughs> of that contract. <laughs> Like in World War II, they didn't come home. Like they well, never they switched to. those guys out. They just sent them to France, and then you either died in France or you got to come home after the war was over. Well, they have to rotate you out now, right? They can't. Yeah, they do they're, not. They're not allowed to keep you at active yeah, duty. Yeah, we for know that a lot time. more about uh, combat fatigue yeah. than we did back then. And yeah, that's why I thought for some reason, when you signed a contract, only a portion of it was allowed to be actively at war, and I, I thought it was like nope. literally half of it. <laughs> That might be a, a weird National Guard thing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't trust those people. <laughs> anyway, Jen Kill. <laughs> um, I, I, I is wanted... a lieutenant a lower ranking officer? Is that fair? That is like your O1. Okay. So uh, O1 is LT. LT can scream at E9. But not. He never does. O2. 
Yeah, the, 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 the lieutenants are never screaming at the senior NCOs because the senior NCOs will make their life a living hell because the higher enlisted more or less run shit and the lower officer corps is still learning how to deal with the lower enlisted corps. Once you get up to captain, you might start seeing them go after the old heads, but at that point it's warranted because they're young officers with experience. So it would be like... As an E4, I might get screamed at by an E5, who was the same rank as me last week, but now he has the authority to scream at me. One week's difference. One week's difference. <laughs> now he has the authority to tell me what to do. I have to stand a different way when he's talking to me. That's it's a annoying. whole situation. Don't you have to stand to a certain side, too? Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. annoying. Yeah. Why that's, does that that's matter? More, that's more for officers. Why does but that you have matter, to go though? into a, like a parade rest, which is legs spread a little bit, hands behind the back thing for your um, NCO ranks. Mm -hmm. And you have to go to attention for any officer. Yeah, you have to salute them when they walk by. You don't salute higher enlisted. It's it's fucking weird. Why does it matter which side you stand to them, though? Like, I get the, It's like, tradition. It's I, the I, same I, reason why you got to stand at attention. It's like, like I'm paying posture. attention. I could be sitting down and paying attention, sir. <laughs> like, I get the posture, I guess, because it, it is a bit more like I'm alert. I'm paying attention. Mm -hmm. But, like... I can literally pay attention to the left or right of you. It doesn't yeah. matter. It has something to do with like where the swords were mm. and where I uh, have no fucking clue. The it's like colors. The same, yeah, the colors. <laughs> These colors don't run. Like they were pissed off. Their flag got stolen. No, I would have been mad about, about the food. Them. Yeah. <laughs> I would have been mad. I'd be like, fuck your flag. Where's my food? But my, like, what do you think of in terms of like the importance of war films like i know you're not a big war film person because no. you don't like the blood and guts and the the shoot em ups i don't agree with war either though yeah. so well the, i think the most important war films don't agree with war yeah. like platoon is that i think deer hunters that i think <laughs> my problem with war films and there are definitely Rambo. ones <laughs> there are definitely ones that I feel like depict a bit more neutral tone to mm -hmm. what it's like. Because like I said, even with Jen Kill, the literal kids over there fighting, because most of the characters we're following are kind of kids. 19, like, 20 yeah. years old. Like yeah. they've been to Afghanistan already. Mm -hmm. But I mean, yeah, they're, you know, early mid-20s at oldest, a lot of these characters. Um, so you can kind of excuse some of their, like I said, like more vulgar behavior yeah. and like... Um, having worked in a hospital, like I can kind of excuse to some extent being a little desensitized to what you're yeah. doing if you think you're doing the right thing. Um, but the message of the series is very much like, I, I don't think it's anti going to war. Or, like I, got I think the it's just like basic journalism. Here's what's happening. Feel well, how you may. Yeah. And like, I got the impression cause you get that final scene, which is, I, I don't know. I mean, you're reading the books. So you can tell me. I don't know if that final scene really happened where they're watching his film and one by one they walk away mm -hmm. in shame. Like, I don't know that that's, that's really... probably metaphorical. Yeah, yeah, I don't know that that's a true thing that happened, but it's a very poignant um, scene to end the series on because I don't think it's necessarily... Because you have the one kid at the end with the gun who's like, I'm ready to saddle up and yeah. go back out there, you know? I don't think it's necessarily an anti-war series. I think it's more of a we need to take more pause and think about the consequences of our actions. Mm -hmm. And so I don't mind stuff like that. I, yeah, I'm not a huge like blood and guts and gore and suffering yeah. kind of person. So I don't really like a lot of really bloody movies, but I have a problem with, and don't at me. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the glorification. That's my next bit. As Americans that we give to soldiers regardless. Like, I think it's a very brave and sacrificing job to choose to do. I think the fact that we let such young people join the service, though, kind of guarantees we have kids going into Mm -hmm. these really horrific situations that don't totally know what they're signing up for. I don't know that 18-year-olds should be allowed to go to war. That's not where I thought you were going with it. (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, I get for some people that's a means to being able to afford to go to college. Mm. I'm I'm not necessarily saying let's not do it. No, and I'm not a veteran who goes into Applebee's and asks for a military discount. Like, if you see me in real life, unless my hair is cut like it is today, because it's haircut day, um, like, I've got a beard, you know, I've got a (laughs) little bit of a gut now, and I, you know, I I guess you could kind of tell that I'm a veteran because I wear the same color clothes every single day and I wear boots everywhere. You always tuck your shirt in. Yeah, but I don't wear, like, Semper Fi fucking, you know, big blown-up graphics. Don't fuck with my country if you see me run and chase me or whatever the fuck Mm -hmm. shirts. Like, I'm not that kind of a dickhead. And I don't wear, like, an open carry, you know, with the fucking, you know, tactical type shit. I'm just a dude. So I get what you're. I get what you're saying. Well, I, where I'm, where I'm really going with that. I though, think that there's a, and this is. I I, I get the we don't want to glorify, and uh, trust me, I'm a anti-war libertarian. <laughs> I get that we don't want to glorify the war, but I think that there's a certain respect or at least i feel a certain respect to people that serve. people that have been in like if i got a veteran telling me some shit and i've got a civilian who's never been in telling me some shit i'm probably listening to the veteran and for <laughs> me the tricky situation there and why i kind of hesitate with stuff like that is um period i think jobs that require kind of above and beyond service you know, are, cops and firefighters yeah, and, and all that doctors, shit the same nurses, thing. Yeah. yeah like I, th- I think anyone who does a job that requires more sacrifice on their behalf deserves um obviously at least a handshake a lot yeah. of well a lot of respect i i think people that purposely go into careers where it's openly acknowledged up front. You're going to be spending a lot of your life making sacrifices for other people that mm-hmm. are never going to pay back the sacrifices that you've yeah. made for them. In all like, likelihood, that's... you're going to end up homeless because of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that's very noble. And like, I think there's a lot of respect that should be given, especially behind the intention of that. Because I think even 18-year-old kids straight out of high school who don't really mm-hmm. know what they're doing when they join the military have good intentions going in uh, some of them some of them don't. some of true. them for sure um, i've only met one dude who did it for god and country i don't care i mean most of the dudes i met they did it for college because they all right we're going in because the military fucking takes disenfranchised teenagers for the most part uh, breaks them mentally and teaches them what we call discipline. And it's a lie. No, they break you for whatever mission it is that they want you to hold. And yeah. they don't reintegrate you when mm-hmm. you come home. Um, so they lot. take advantage of, there's a reason why they're 18 and they're mostly come from lower middle class yeah. to, you know, poor families. And they think they're going to get out and go to college and yeah. be able to buy a house. And... and ironically, the only person that I know who went for God and country came from millionaire family. <laughs> 
And <laughs> I, I don't think it's exclusive to military. So um, I feel like maybe that's where you can forgive me a little bit, audience that's probably wanting to send me hate mail. No, what we're saying right now is that we respect what they're doing um, and we respect them. But we disagree. Maybe we respect them, but we disagree <coughs> with what they're doing. Are well, we in that road? Because I'm yeah. against the war, but I'm very pro-troop. Yes. Um, yes, for sure. Ultimately, yes. That is the final thought. Um, I don't agree with the war, and I don't think the soldiers that get deployed to war really get a say in what's going on, ultimately. Yeah. So you can't really be super frustrated. I think my problem... Um, and obviously the frustration with these type of, uh, institutions are going to be targeted more towards the corporations at the top of the institution yeah, because they're Halliburtons the ones, and all that shit. Yeah. They're the ones allowing the institution to run the way that it's running. So I don't think it's exclusive to military. I think it's true of cops too, but I think whenever we get into this mindset of support the troops, no matter what, or blue lives matter, no matter yeah. what. You then run into these really dangerous situations mm. where we're not holding the people accountable. Yeah, we've given them this reverence. Yeah, yeah, we're not holding the people accountable when they make a mistake. Well, that's my favorite Doug Stanhope joke where he says, uh, or not my favorite, but everything's my favorite if it clicks <laughs> in the moment there, if you haven't gathered, um, is uh, he, he goes, I don't support the troops. I support troops on an individual basis. I have to meet the troop first. And if he's a yeah. cool troop, then I'll support him. You know, I'll, I'll write his name on the yellow ribbon. But if I meet him and he's a dipshit and he, yeah. you know, get, he wants to hammer my head flat because I've spilled a piss warm <laughs> beer, fuck him. I hope he dies first. People get, people get so up in arms when you're like, I can't fall behind this ideology of support troops or cops or whatever. Yeah. It could be any profession. They're a corrupt doctors. I, I was a, a, I'm a veteran cop. That's pretty much what I, I, I was a cop in the military. And I don't respect cops as an organization on the civilian side. I don't mm -hmm. respect people who call the cops unless it's a serious goddamn emergency. I don't respect, I, I'm a, again, I'm a libertarian. I believe in the NAP. Like, I believe in the non-aggression non principle. And... <laughs> People that are playing on those lines, you can't give them that, whoo, you know, let's throw a parade unless they've earned the yeah. parade. You know, if my police department here in Missoula goes a year without killing anybody, I'll throw them a parade. You guys are awesome. Fuck yeah, keep doing that. <laughs> there are very select professions that we do that for, and I think that's the thing that's so odd. Like, teachers and they're get all, that. They're all like, I'm sorry, I keep cutting you, you off. Do. <laughs> They're all like CGPA positions too, if you think about it. Like maybe not doctors and you know paramedics. Those people are probably, you know, really smart alpha people. But your basic police officers or your basic enlisted men got a lot of C's in high school, and that's why they're there now. <laughs> but like teachers get that too. So I'm I'm trying to be a bit more universal with this idea. Is like. You know, teachers are educating America, and there are some garbage teachers out there, too. Yeah. So it's like the, the ideology behind we have to support a group of people no matter what to me is silly. So, mm -hmm. like, something like this, like Jen Kill, like, I don't mind because you see very distinctly the individual personalities of these yeah. people and how they're coping. And then you have Tromley, is it? Yeah, Trombley. Who, Trombley, who I'm like, that dude is straight psycho. <laughs> like, yeah. send him off. Like, 
to a therapist. <laughs> yeah, the second that he leaves here, he should be fucking institutionalized yeah. if he's that fucking nuts. So, so this this idea of like these war movies that are very much like pro America and the soldier is the good guy no matter what. I'm mm-hmm. like, that's not true though. Like there yeah. are good soldiers who go into war and make bad choices because of the pressure of the situation. Mm-hmm. And even if it wasn't an intention setting out to go in and to make these bad choices, we have to acknowledge you made some bad choices. Where do we go from here? Like, I, I don't like this glorification of anything just based on the principle of what it is. And that's yeah. what bugs me about war movies that do that. Cause it's like the soldier is the good guy, no matter what. And it's like, yeah. but sometimes he's not though. Well, like my big, <laughs> the, what I had written down on my notes, I, I didn't mean to get into like a political, a political thing. Um, but it, that what you just said ties in brilliantly is like certain films think, ugh, think Black Hawk Down are or any of the new ones that have come out featuring Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> They're these glorification, almost propaganda films mm-hmm. um, versus Jen Kill or Saving Private Ryan or... Um, Platoon. Platoon. These are stories about real people as opposed to go join the National Guard. Mm. (laughs) Like Black Hawk Down for me, it it has a personal tie in. My dad knew the pilot that was held hostage. So like that guy, I've been, I've met that dude like as a kid. And when you watch the movie, it's terrifying what happened to those dudes. The choppers get shot down. The entire city is trying to kill them. The whole time, they're fucking flipping out, just gunning down Somalians and trying to get out of the city. And it's a great, great movie. Like, it, that is how a military unit operates. But we don't learn enough about the individual soldiers mm-hmm. um, in the Delta Force squad. So it just turns into a fuck that black guy. I'm going to shoot him yeah, movie. <laughs> yeah, we need to get the Americans out because the Americans are the heroes. Yeah, but the and... the Americans are there toppling their government in the first fucking place. Yeah. It's how they get shot down. Yeah. <laughs> like they're going after Amon or a, you know whatever his name was, the little warlord dude that the colonel smoked cigarettes with <laughs> or cigars. But, but what, what? That's that's brilliant. I think I think honestly. Blood and Guts aside, that's a huge problem that I have with those type of movies. Is it's, it's a movie that you watch that I think a lot of the times, depending on the movie, is meant to make you feel patriotic at the end. Yeah. And, um, like and Zero Dark Thirty, you're supposed <laughs> to be like, fuck you, Osama yeah, bin Laden. And um, I'm I'm not saying people put in these really desperate situations are wholly at fault, which not all of these movies are based on real events, yeah. but. Like, real soldiers put in these real situations that maybe they shouldn't have been put in in the first place can't be held 100% accountable mm-hmm. for their actions, but you can't also be held 0% accountable because you're a soldier. Yeah. No, I think there's less, uh, yeah, there's less of a responsibility on the enlisted and the lower officer ranks because they go through this program that breaks them. Mm-hmm. tells them that they're doing the right thing and then they are capable of insane violence. But if we glorify that, entirely then you run the risk of becoming nazi germany (laughs) where at a certain point you're just following orders Mm -hmm. and there needs to be breaks inside of the military i'm not saying coups or any of that violent shit just intellectual breaks uh where um like 
the guy, the, the team lead. Flicker. No, the car is it? The dude who runs the Humvee, Iceman. Oh, Brad. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, I just remember their first names for some reason. Nate is LT, and Brad's the dude yeah. driving. <laughs> but you need to have that moment where it's like we're not shooting these people. Mm. Like these are not the people that we shoot. <laughs> you know, you you can't just start walking people into gas chambers, and that's mm. what happens with an over glorification of a fucking military system. It's happened several times in human history. Well, I think, I don't know. These films that propagandize it create little Tromleys who are like, I'm here to be, or Captain America, you know? (laughs) I feel like I'm over here trying to wax poetic about my own um, intelligence level, but I think maybe that's why I like movies like um, I've Been Thinking of Ending Things, Mm -hmm. which is one we've been talking about more recently, because I think whenever... um, the movie is a bit more raw and, like, chaotic and it's not trying to send some specific message about how you're supposed to feel or what you're supposed to think at the end of it or whatever people are then open to confronting their own fears and their own beliefs and their own ideologies you just present it this is watch platoon it's just vietnam these are how these individual characters feel about Vietnam, but you don't get this feeling like, oh my god, I want to go to Vietnam, mm-hmm. or oh my god, we shouldn't be in Vietnam. It's like... But I, I feel like, yeah, and Jen Kill, um, I think, does it in the relationships they have with each other more mm-hmm. than the fight scenes. But yeah, when you have these movies that are kind of like stripped down chaos and you can't really a hundred percent like tell mm-hmm. where it's going or what's going on or what the end result's going to be then you kind of turn inward and confront why do i feel anxious and yeah. what am i thinking about this so yeah I, I, and it doesn't necessarily have to be war movies i guess i don't really like movies that go in with the intention of you're supposed to come out feeling this specific way mm-hmm. about this specific thing. Like whenever. the Avengers films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, it shouldn't be so cut and dry. I think it, it art is meant to be explorative. So then you mm-hmm. come out with your own interpretation at the end of what it meant to you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, patriotic movies are probably the most aggressively like, you better feel patriotic or else. <laughs> well, like one of my favorites, um, as far as as war goes, for film, um, <laughs> this was my favorite war. No, fucking <laughs> just the, the time a whole bunch of people killed each other over a plot of land. This was my favorite time that ever happened. <laughs> um, but no, my favorite like uh, example of that would be. The first Rambo movie, and I cite only the first Rambo movie. I know that there's four or five or six now, and the first one was the only one we ever needed. Because it, people remember it as a run and gun. They remember it as, you know, like it, what it became in two and three, where he's like, I have to go back to Vietnam and, you know, tie my bandana and flex my muscles and be really huge. Who was that? Was that Stallone? Stallone. Yeah, I do a really bad Stallone impression. <laughs> it was so spot on. I, I was transported yeah. to the actual movie but just the, then. The first Rambo movie is about post-traumatic stress disorder. He gets back from Vietnam. He finds out that his buddy's killed himself, I think, is, like, the very first scene where, like, he walks up after being harassed by the cop to the address that his buddy left. And I think his buddy 
shot himself, if I remember that I've correctly. Seen it like once ever, and it was a very long time yeah. ago. <laughs> well, his buddy's not there. Is basically I can't remember why his buddy's not there. I think his buddy's dead, and um, then he's getting harassed by the police officers because they think he's a hippie, but he's a returning like special forces guy from Vietnam. He gets Isn't harassed. He like crazy jacked in that movie. I would not. Think he wasn't. He wasn't was two and three. Oh, in the first one, he's kind of like how Rocky was. Oh. Like, yeah, he had. I was like, I don't look at Stallone and go hippie. <laughs> well, he, yeah. Well, he had like the mullet, long hair type thing, and a little outgrown and shit like that. But he's getting harassed by local law enforcement, and he just wants to come home to the country that he left behind. Probably... They chase him in the mountains. They're shooting at him. He's flipping out. At one point, he winds up, like, hunkered down in, like, a little office building, gunning down the police and just trying to get him to leave him the fuck I don't alone. I any of that. Yeah, and they fly his commander out to talk him off the ledge and says, you can't treat this place like it's Vietnam. You have to deal and with what happened. And he doesn't go to jail? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't make sense legally. Oh the, the first Rambo movie is basically Rambo is in a small town in the Pacific Northwest. He's just trying to be left the fuck alone. And like he he's getting sprayed down by the cops in the jail and having flashbacks of being tortured in a POW camp and just snaps. And it's, it's a brilliant example of that. It's remembered as a propaganda film for Vietnam, but it's like the same way people are like, Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA is a fucking I Love My Country song. And it's like, have you not ever listened to the lyrics? It's literally about vets getting pissed on when they come home. Like it's <laughs> born down in a dead man's town. <laughs> Policed that stash, though he probably wouldn't have. If that he problem. policed that mustache, he'd be <laughs> fucking okay right now. I don't know. What do you? Uh, do you think it's helpful or hurtful? Like as someone who actually served, and um... I think things like Jen Kill are very helpful. But the people that are going to go in, that would become the next twenty years of Jen Kill, um, I don't know if they would gleam the lesson. Or if they're just watching it like I used to watch it as a kid with my buddies for the explosions. Yeah. I think they're going to do exactly what me and my friends did. And sit there and miss the drama that's in the dialogue and the overall point. Because they're not thinking that way. They're full of piss and vinegar and they're ready to go blow shit up. I think it's almost honestly... I, I think a lot of young kids that sign up probably... Um, I guess maybe don't fully grasp the weight of that decision and are doing it for different reasons, whether yeah. it's for their country or for college I went in because dad went in. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's definitely not being more honest about it in media and in what we're presenting to young people detrimental, but I think it's honestly a bit more detrimental to civilians because I feel like there's a pressure to be supportive. And if you're not supportive, you're not patriotic. So then we watch these. In the meantime, most civilians don't even know that we're still at war. <laughs> <laughs> but, we, but we watch these movies where it does kind of glorify war. And then we feel like the war is like a worthy cause. And then I, I had mm -hmm. literally never even heard of generation kill at all. Um, 
I, I don't think the movies that are a bit more raw and real ever really make it out there because that's not what we want to see. Like, as civilians who yeah. aren't... Oh, won three awards. It was on HBO. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not saying nobody ever saw it, but yeah. I, I've never even heard of it. People that so. paid for HBO back then got to see it, but your average American audience did not get to see yeah. John Kelly. And I, I'm yeah. assuming at the time for the audience that it, it mattered to, it was probably an important series, but then... I feel like it kind of died off and went away because, like I said, never even heard of it at all. And it, it is really well done. Mm-hmm. And the characters are characters that you can kind of sympathize with. And the arc of the story is really well done. And I feel like as civilians who don't ever actually have to go to war and have to see any of that up front, we don't want to see that or talk about that. We're like, oh, no, no, no. Like, no. Those, keep, are, the, those are the janitors we put off so we can <laughs> yeah. keep having this opulent yeah. lifestyle. It's like, you yeah. keep that to yourself and then I'm just going to be go soldiers yeah. over here with my super patriotic kill them brown pe- or brown yeah. skin people. For fucking no reason. Yeah. And that's the part that creates the problem coming home. I'm sorry this entire episode has been very fucking, like... Well, we're talking about the impact no, of media. I'm, 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 I'm loving the conversation. <laughs> I, I love the conversation. Um, but, like, that's the problem, like, when you come home. Even if you're not a combat troop, you're dealing with people who do not understand you because they think that you're Captain America from the fucking Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. And then you have, like, dudes who come home and they try to act harder than they've ever been in their life. I served. I was in the military. Yeah. Brr, I'm fucking angry. You know, you got people that, like, pretend that they did shit that they didn't do. <laughs> Like, you get this weird barometer where there is no, this is a stupid fucking example, but it's like, like, when you see a gay dude who's just a gay dude, and you're like, he doesn't have to be flamboyant to, like, fit into a stereotype. Like, a lot of dudes come back from the military, I'm sorry to compare all of you guys to the gays, I know that upsets 90% of you. Um, <laughs> Probably upsets the gays to be compared and, to. And upsets the gays. I'm not saying if you're gay, you're you're violent. But um, there is no, yes, I was in the military. Please quit thanking me. Like, when, when you tell somebody, they go, well, thank, thank you, you for, for your service. service. And it's like, can you not say that? Like, that would help me. I don't think I've ever said that to you. Never, never. <laughs> I don't think but I've like ever the, once said that to you. All the employees at the gas Even station. Even <laughs> Yeah, all the all the fucking people down at the gas station down the street, right? Like, I've got a Wounded Warrior sweatshirt. I love mm-hmm. that sweatshirt. It's warm. It's my favorite sweatshirt to wear to work. Not, It's got holes in it. But, um, like, I wear that shirt, and people go, did you serve? And I was like, yes, I did. And then they're like, thank you. And it's like, don't, mm-hmm. don't thank me for that. I... I don't even know if I fully agree. <laughs> I think that's well-intentioned. Like I also worked at the animal control shelter, or I used to work in a pawn shop. I've helped and hurt people in every position that I've ever had. What makes that one special? <laughs> I think it's well-intentioned, but again, that comes back to where I was saying, um, I think when we do movies about real life situations, especially war movies where we glorify the war and glorify the soldier. Um, and I don't think anybody really wants to, that doesn't um, serve or mm-hmm. put themselves in those situations. I don't think anybody really wants to think too much about the consequences of it. Cause you don't want to have to feel guilty. Um, because your taxpayer dollars are doing <laughs> that. <laughs> but I, I, I think, and it's a twofold 
detriment where civilians then feel like this intense obligation of um, like showing admiration, I guess. But on the flip side, the soldier comes back. And if the soldier's struggling with post-traumatic stress or mm-hmm. any kind of you know, trauma from that experience. Or just the adjustment period yeah. back into civilian life. They then I don't know how to make a dentist appointment, okay? <laughs> like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to buy a new phone or get on a phone plan. Everything you learned from 18 to 21, I have no fucking idea. I set up the appointment for us to do our IDs and yeah. work it on I don't know tests. how it works. <laughs> but, so, yeah... Um, yeah, there's that too. Like you, you're not adjusted back into civilian activities, yeah. but also they give you a resume class and then they let you out. <laughs> but then also, <laughs> if you're struggling with something in particular, I feel like then it becomes this thing you're not really allowed to talk about because the only thing the people that are here want to talk about is all the good you did mm. and you know how much sacrifice you made and oh, you're a hero and stuff, and you're not allowed to say I'm feeling vulnerable. Yeah, no, I've known shitloads of better people than I. Like, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't mean it in that sense. I just mean like if you're struggling with like the trauma of it, like it's like the people here don't want to hear the trauma. Yeah, they yeah. they want to be like, oh, you did a good thing. Thanks for your service. Good day. Mm-hmm. You know. And so when we have these films or these books or whatever that glorify um, any instance, but in this particular situation, since that that's what we're talking about, war, like. It's twofold damage is at home we're not willing to recognize the damage that we're causing and then we bring those people back home and they're not allowed to recognize the trauma that they went through. So yeah. then it's it they're is, trained not to talk about it. Yeah. So then it is We're a lot kind of, better at it than we used to be. We're not egging soldiers as they come in, you know, off the fucking yeah. airplanes anymore. Thank Christ. <laughs> you would have killed someone. <laughs> I almost killed a bunch of people in like my first six months of freedom. Like I'd be in a bar and some dude would just start talking shit. And I'm like, we couldn't do this. Like, I don't care. And, um, but I think the film that gets it and I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose it right there. The film that gets it right is Drum roll. The, uh, the one where he's an EOD tech. I'm not a big war movie ex- person. <laughs> explosives guy. Hopefully it hits me right in the middle of me talking about That it. one. The guy who played the fucking archer in the Avengers things. Oh. That guy. Yeah, I know it. who you're talking about. Yeah. That I don't d- know what the movie the is. The dude about. that I can't remember is in a movie. I can't remember the name of. Uh, but he plays an EOD tech, uh, which is an explosive ordnance guy. So you find a bomb, you call these guys, they put on the big bomb suit, and they waltz over there, <laughs> and they try to disarm it, and it's or the big... that's the end of their day. Yeah, it's the big meme joke. <laughs> it's like, I don't worry about my job, because I either get it right, or I'm not around to figure out that I failed. But um, he goes, and he's disarming all these bombs, and the movie is fucking incredible. And then he comes home, and like your only real scene of him at home is him trying to figure out cereal. So he's standing in the cereal aisle. He's got an entire aisle filled with colorful boxes. He's alone in the shopping section. He's just buying cereal for his kid or his wife or whoever he's buying the cereal for. But like he's staring at them and he can't make his mind up which cereal he's supposed to have. Because his, what he's trained to do is disarm bombs. So he, he, he knows how to make 
very integral choices throughout the film. Mm -hmm. And then he comes home and he can't even pick out his own cereal. And then the very final shot is another helicopter touching down in the desert. It opens and he's getting out. Like he's he's like, fuck it. Send me back. I don't, I don't know how to be here. (laughs) It is, but it's very relatable as, um, a veteran, as I'm sure it would be for anybody who's a cop, you know, um, You've seen me in a grocery store. Were you... That, that's funny that you brought that up because I was actually just thinking about that. Were you cognizant of feeling stressed in a store before the service? Was that no. always there? I used to work in a grocery store. But I mean, just for like personal shopping, when it's not a thing no. you have to be there for, like you didn't feel no, stressed? No, didn't freak me out at all before. That's kind of sad, isn't it? I mean... I mean, yeah, I've got post-traumatic stress. <laughs> well, I, I don't mean sad on I your part. I was never in a combat zone. I've seen some shit. I watch hands. That's what I do. That's what I was trained to do. And when there's 500 people in a fucking Walmart, that's a lot of hands. That's a thousand hands. <laughs> and so I would like to find the paprika, but there's a person standing three inches away from me and I'm about ready to just drop an elbow in their fucking eyes. You did that to me today though. You freaked me out a little bit. I was like, who is this person very aggressively marching towards me? (laughs) God damn it. And we went to the grocery store to make what? Oh, I almost said salmon sushi. We're making salmon salmon sushi. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to make our own. Very excited. I'm very fucking excited myself. Oh, we're also going to make yellow yellow, tuna. Yeah, yellowfin tuna steaks. Gonna go off in the fucking kitchen. It's gonna be awesome. This was a brilliant fucking conversation, love. Thank you very much. Like, I'm... We don't talk about... I don't know. We've never talked about war film before. And what I've learned this week... Some things watching the show and reading the book now... Um... I, don't, I think I'm accepting some shit. So, thank you. Love you. I love you. <laughs> but I think ultimately, at the end of the day... Ultimately. At the end of the day. At the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, as artists... Um, it's going to be what it's going to be. Shut up. As artists, we're responsible for being conscious of the impact that we're making. So whether it's a war film or a film about mental disorders or whatever, a... a Think to glorify anything, period, without kind of acknowledging the dark side of it as well mm. is irresponsible. And I, I would hope anytime we make a film that kind of touches on any of that stuff, we're acknowledging just the struggle mm. or the authenticity of it. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think any aspect of life is black and white. There's always yeah. a gray area. And I, I think in art, it's important to be... Like, acknowledge that aspect Everything. of it, yeah. You need to show the horrors of the little girl who had her legs blown off on the side of the road and then joke ten minutes later that makes you laugh your balls off and makes you forget that you're there because that's how your characters are. And how they survive those situations. Yeah. And if you guys need a, a helpful reminder as to how to do this, just remember, everything you know about politics about war, about bathrooms, Bathrooms. What? <laughs> is a little scrolled up piece of paper going, I'm just a bill sitting on Capitol Hill. 
just a bill. Don't be a bill. <laughs> That's my take on propaganda and war. But, but do watch Misery. We are watching Misery. That's what we're going to talk about Tuesday. Sorry about the weird week delay. We were trying to clean off my hard drive and then found out that we took off. And then I found out that we didn't take it off and it didn't get edited. So you're getting a double drop. That already happened. I don't know what the fuck I'm telling you about it. I love you, sweetheart. I love you. And I love you guys. And we will talk to you on Tuesday about misery with Can, the guy who played Sonny and the Godfather and that other lady. I don't remember her name. That lady. She's a fantastic actress. Kathy Bates? Yes. <laughs> <laughs>